Welcome to episode 187 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. My name is Chris and joining me is Shane and we are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky in this podcast. Is there anyone else who likes going out under the stars? We have another Patreon supporter to thank. Who, who are we thanking today, Shane? Yeah, we do. Uh, thank you to uh, Chef Ozzy. Uh, we've referenced him a few times recently. Um, he's uh, he sent us a number of emails. We've had a lot of correspondence. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for the Patreon support. Um, and again, as always, thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. We do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, helps us just keep churning these things out. Yeah, no, really, really appreciate it. I mean, I, I think I put in the note that we really couldn't have done the last show without you because you, uh, Chef Ozzy, has, uh, has, has sent us in like a really nice set of questions to, to frame that IP show around. And then there was like some of those questions. I thought they were really, um, they were, they were all really good. Um, but several of them, like I was surprised. I kind of went back through some of the notes when we were making that episode up and we, uh, surprisingly enough, we had never touched on some of those in, in the ways that he had uh, asked for. So we appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Phil sent us a, a message with, um, a bunch of ideas for shows. Some I think are a little bit outside of our realm of expertise, but like mm-hmm. you mentioned, we can maybe look for somebody that has some, some of the knowledge, like particularly around like detailed weather interpretation and forecasting and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so basically if we, we love when we get these emails of show ideas, it really, you know, helps us to form the next one because I think you and I occasionally get a little, um, I don't know, almost like writer's block, you know, where we're kind of like, what, what should we talk about next week? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I always thought we would, and I mean, it's just the way things, things roll out, but I thought we would get more, um, more guests than we have. And, you know, kind of what it boils down to it, it is hard to, to line people's days and times up and, and, uh, you know, just, just sort of set it up and do it. And, you know, it is it is one of those things where people do have to be comfortable talking um, in in such a respect, and and maybe sometimes people that are that are experts in certain things just just aren't or aren't available or whatever. So um, sometimes that's just the way it goes. But uh, you know, I you know, it would be nice to get maybe some more guests in and, and get some other other folks involved. That would be cool. Yeah, absolutely. I always enjoy uh, talking to other folks and just you know having different conversations like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, very cool. Yeah, and uh, I, yeah, I thought Phil's uh, suggestions were great. I, th- I think all the suggestions we get are great, and and we do end up incorporating them one way or another. Like you know, so for example, if if it is something on the weather where well, like neither of us are, are weather experts, but what we might be able to do is as as we're talking about things, make sure that we we include maybe the the resources and such that we we do use, and just just make sure that we're kind of uh, filling filling in the gaps that that we can. You know, is, is a good way to do it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the ideas that we get don't turn into um, like a focused, dedicated show on the topic, but, you know, we'll answer the question or make it a part of a larger show. Yeah. Yeah. So we try to, we try to get everything, uh, everything in there. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's just a little bit about how the sausages uh, are made around here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The secret sausage spice blend. Yeah. So how was your week? I see see you get it. I see you have a note here. It looks like six inch decisions. Is yeah. that, the, is that the snowfall or, or telescopic? <laughs> uh, Cause we've had about six inches of snow this past week, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, my week I'm getting so fed up with this weather, Chris, this is just 
I'm so annoyed. We uh, we're really just under a perpetual blanket of cloud now lately. You know, oh, the temperatures yeah. have kind of warmed up, but you can't see anything at night. So nope. you might get. Uh, I, I had a couple glimpses of the moon through pretty thick cloud, like. And when I say glimpses, it was just like a bright orb. You couldn't even really see any of the surface details. So yep. um, I'm just, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting the itch. I want to do some observing and we can't, but nope. um, oh, well, it is what it is. Uh, as always, uh, we, what we say every Sunday is, hey, hopefully this coming week is better. <laughs> yeah, I'm not maybe. sure it will be, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, I did put in here though, that I was expecting to get 44 and a half minutes out of you on Leo one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was kind of funny. Um, so yeah, I guess let's talk about Leo one for a second. I was, um, I'm doing some reorganization of my astronomy stuff. I bought some shelving and, you know, some other things to help, uh, help, you know, declutter my room. And, uh, I have a stack of these deep sky journals, um, that occasionally I flip through, um, I, I got a stack of these things when I used to have the 12 inch light bridge. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that was a great deep sky telescope and the deep sky journal is for like really big aperture telescopes, but providing like some real challenging, unique things to look at. And mm -hmm. when you flip through these and Chris, I know you've got some of these magazines, so you're familiar with them, Yep. but when you, when you go through them, it's often like sketches and observing reports from people with like 32 inch telescopes, <laughs> like, yeah. like monsters. Right. Um, so when, when I got rid of my light bridge and then, you know, my, the majority of my observing was with, um, you know, five inch or smaller refractors, I found that a lot of the stuff in this deep sky journal, uh, just didn't apply to me anymore because it was out of range of the aperture that I had. Mm -hmm. Um, and then anyway, when I was doing some reorganizing, I noticed one of them was, was talking about like small telescope challenges or, you know, extravaganzas or something like that. Mm. So I was curious about, you know, small telescope is a subjective term, obviously. And I'm, I was wondering what small was to these folks. Um, but lo and behold, like they talk about five and six inch telescopes in, in the small telescope section, which is great. Um, so I think I might actually, uh, go through these magazines again, but looking more at that small telescope section. Mm -hmm. um, but the the note that I sent you, I, I took a photograph of of the uh, article or a portion of the article where they were talking about Leo One. Um, not sure if it's observable in a five inch telescope because nobody, I, I like, I don't think anybody in their circle really had five inch telescopes at that point. So, Refractors. Yeah. 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 So they weren't, they weren't really sure if it was possible and they were hoping somebody would try. So I thought that was kind of amusing. Uh, that was from like 1991, I think. So it's a little bit older. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should uh, say what, what these magazines are. So, so this is deep sky magazine and deep sky journal i think one became i think it originally started as deep sky journal and then became deep sky magazine or something and i think the last issue they published was in like the mid 90s or something wasn't it so it's so, it something has, like that yeah and, and published in 25 years or something yeah and even when it was published like i think it it varied from like uh like a quarterly distribution yeah. and then i think it went to bi-monthly for a little bit um yeah yeah, but I, it was definitely like a very niche magazine, I think, in the uh, observing world. Yeah, probably the thing that would be equivalent now would be like the Deep Sky Observer uh, from the Webb Society. 
So if people yep. are interested in something that is uh, sort of like the modern equivalent, um, that would be that. Although I did try to join the Web Society at one point in time, and it was it was a bit of a circuitous navigation. But I think that was before the uh, uh, the internet was was as prevalent, and and when I was more into uh, joining clubs and organizations, which. You know, as, as I was mentioning before this, uh, le- less inclined to join clubs and organizations these days than than I used to be and just like to kind of do my own observing. But yeah, I have most of the copies of the Deep Sky Journal and Deep Sky Magazine as well around here somewhere. I think I'll have to get the uh, the name of your uh, shelving unit and maybe get something of my own on the go <laughs> organization. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely helps. So, so yeah, that was kind of fun. Um, I observed Leo one with, I've observed Leo one with my five inch and, uh, with, uh, Clark Muir who uh, who sometimes has, has been on the show. So, uh, sort of in full disclosure and how we did it was, um, was, I I think this, this is, this is the way it went. And boy, I think, I think it was his scope, but now that I think it could have been another mic, it's not the mic that we observed with, but another mic had a 10 inch scope, but I think it was Clark had his 12 inch and I had my five, and I uh, set it up, and and so Leo One is a small dwarf galaxy beside uh, Regulus, correct? Uh, am I, I remember this yeah, correctly? I'm Something just, like that. just looking it up, I believe so. It, it, uh, yeah, yeah, twelve arc minutes from Regulus. Yeah. So then, um, let's see. Uh, so this was uh, in in sort of late uh, or early spring, late winter, early spring. It's probably about 12, 14 years ago. And, uh, I had just gotten my five inch and was kind of seeing what it could do. And, uh, boy, I kind of sort of thought I could see it and, um, going back and forth between, I think I'm pretty sure it was Clark's 12 and my, uh, and my five inch, um, we, we confirmed that, yeah, definitely we, we could see it. So in, in my scope and, and then through his, uh, we were able to kind of verify that, you know, based on some of the background stars that we could see, um, yeah, you could definitely see a, a small brightening there, but it was, it was tough even in the 12 inch. I remember. So this isn't like a bright thing for people to go hunting for. No, it's listed as magnitude 11.2, um, which is, pretty dim to begin with, but, um, from what I gather, I've never observed it, but from what I gather it, um, you know, the, the surface brightness is kind of diffuse and it's, uh, it has some characteristics of like M 33, you know, where, when you look at M 33's magnitude, <clears throat> it's kind of misleading about how difficult yeah. it actually is to observe yeah. and, uh, pair that with the fact that it's so close to a very bright star being regulus, it, it can be a little bit challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just reading here. Yeah. Medium sized amateur telescopes, 15 centimeters or more, uh, and a dark sky appeared to be, uh, required for a sighting. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would say that's, that's fair. I couldn't imagine seeing it in a smaller scope, although now I really want to try it with my, uh, with my four inch tack, but, yeah. uh, I, I, I don't think so. Like it was so, it was so on the edge and we, ha- I had to confirm it like in the twelve. Like I can't, I can't hundred percent say I would, would have been a hundred percent certain if I couldn't confirm it through a larger instrument that was right there. And it wasn't like I set it up, I looked at it, I could see it. It was like, I planned to go looking for it. Um, and then, um, let's see, I, th- I think we spent like the whole evening on like two or three hours, like doing this. So it was just like, we made one observation that night and that was it. And I remember we had other friends there and they're like, you know, even if you guys saw this, you've kind of wasted an evening, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Here's an interesting report though. Um, so some reports of April, 2013 tell that one observer with a, with an 11 centimeter mini Dobson and even a refractor as small as seven centimeters F10 cited Leo one under very dark sky conditions. Mm -hmm. So a 70 millimeter. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's possible and yeah. that would be, that would be uh, tough sledding at the best of times. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So, uh, I don't think we really meant for this to be like an object to observe, but there you go, folks. If, uh, if you want to challenge, uh, now is this, this is the time of the year to start looking for Leo one, I suppose, if you're interested, and you, um, need, you need a dark sky though. Like yeah, we were, yeah. you know, I, I lived in Southern Ontario at the time and we were at a site that was almost two thirds of the way out towards, um, one of the, excuse me, one of the great lakes. And, uh, anyway, it, you know, you've got to really get somewhere dark and have a phenomenal night. So, um, so yeah, um, I'm not even sure we, we'd probably at least have to go South to the spot we like to go to. That's about an hour and a bit South of us. Mm -hmm. That would probably be, I don't even think you could see it there because we're relatively near a road and sometimes there's lights and you have to be like, you have to be like fully dark adaptive for like an hour before you're really going to but you know, yeah, I think like if you can get down into a spot like that and get dark adapted, sure. It's like anything, like you could probably find the right uh, situation for whatever telescope you have. But uh, yeah, that, that, that Leo one is a tough one. Dwarf galaxy though. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of neat to have seen one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you asked me about my six inch decisions. Oh yeah. yeah six inch yeah, decisions. Yeah. So, you know, I've been toying with, um, potentially like a bino telescope, um, or maybe like a six inch acromat. And, um, I've kind of pivoted again and, and I'm, I'm kind of, uh, the, the reason I wanted to bring this up is, uh, I want to ask listeners if they have uh, some feedback for me, if anybody has one, but so I'm looking at the, uh, potentially the TS optics, uh, it's a six inch Apo F8, um, what I, uh, it, it's a doublet, not, I, they might have a triplet. I'm not sure, but I, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of curious about the six inch, uh, uh, doublet ap apochromat. And what I'm most curious about is it has, um, it has an extension between the focuser and the OTA that can be removed, um, and essentially allow for bino viewing without any of the, um, uh, optical correctors in the light path. And the reason why that's so advantageous is in order to get uh, a bino viewer to work on, you know, most telescopes, you have to add like an optical corrector, which is basically a Barlow. Uh, and it's anywhere from 1.25 times, usually up to about 1.7 times. And then what that Barlow does is it, it uh, compensates for the extra uh, light path or the, you know, I guess the distance that the, uh, binocular viewer adds to the light path, it compensates for that and allows you to still achieve focus. Um, because when you add a binocular viewer in, um, you know, you're probably adding at least 130 millimeters to your focal path, like your light path. So it, it just, it, like in refractors and Newtonians, they, they just cannot be focused without, uh, an optical path corrector mm. or like this mini Barlow. Um, and, and why that's not desired is it just shrinks your field of view. Like you really lose the ability for any kind of wide field viewing. So if you can get a telescope where you can shrink the tube or shorten it, uh, and allow to use or allow for a bino viewer to be used natively without any of the optical, uh, path correctors, um, 
you gain more field of view. You know, you can go like with lower powers essentially. So anyway, my question is if anybody's used one of these TS optic six inch telescopes, uh, or even I think the 125 has the same, same thing. Like there's an extension that can be removed. Uh, I'm just curious about how, um, not necessarily how easy it is to remove, but like, is it, is it something that's designed to be at like added and removed over and over and over again, or is it really fine threads that you, you know, you really run the risk of cross threading. Um, and, and, and the reason why that's important to me is I don't think I would run it just as a bino viewer telescope entirely. Like there would be times where I would probably want to run it as a mono uh, telescope to use like, you know, some two inch wide field eyepieces. Um, but just to have that flexibility to go back and forth. So if anybody has feedback for me, I'm, I'm very curious about that. Huh. Yeah. Very cool. That would be, uh, yeah, I really hope you get a six inch uh, refractor. I'm well, not as picky. I'm not as picky though. You get what you want and yeah. I'll just enjoy it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Well, you know, the, the Acromat still is appealing to me for sure. Um, it's just the, it's a little more limited, I think, you know, because probably not going to use it on planets. And I think a six inch apple on the planets would be incredible. Um, now the apple, it's not going to uh, yield quite as wide a field of view, but still, you know, I think pretty, pretty solid for my purposes. And, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's appealing to me. So I still haven't made a decision one way or the other, but I think I'm narrowing down on, on what I want. Yeah, we, we have several listeners with, with six inch refractors. Um, you know, I, I, like, I, I think I know who they are and I'd probably get them wrong if I try to rhyme off their first names, but I know there's, there's one person who's got, um, one of these six inch F 5.9. I think they even have like the Altair one. That's sort of like, a. Yep. I want to say it's like a purpley red. I've never seen it in person. I think it looks so wicked though. Yeah. And it's, that's an acromat. And that's one of those ones that's sort of on, on this list of desirable scopes to maybe for, maybe for me, it's more like a look through than a buy, but like, I would, I would really love to spend an evening with that telescope. Yeah. And then, uh, and then there's another listener and I believe it's the, it's not the TMB, it's the uh, APM um, six inch ED F8 or yep. F7.9 or whatever. And again, that that's another instrument I would like to spend an evening with, and it would be super cool to spend an evening with those about 20 feet apart and just kind of wear, wear a path between the two of them all night. Mm-hmm. I could certainly, uh, you know, that it's sort of like one of those things, you know, I, I, I enjoy listening to a lot of other podcasts and, and YouTube videos and that sort of thing. And sometimes I get the sense, like, you know, how, how interested are, are the authors of whatever it is they're doing, but, uh, Definitely, I would really like to have that experience of of enjoying an evening with uh, with each of those telescopes, if not together. Um, I think that would just be truly fantastic. I think those are just uh, really, really amazing modern instruments that don't exactly break the bank. They're 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 in the affordable range. I think uh, I think the uh, the Altair is sub thousand um, dollars, which is really good for a six inch class instrument that's high quality of of any label. And then I think the uh, the APM is, is about, uh, maybe double a little bit more of that price. And, and so again, uh, something that, that, that is in, in the, in the reach, you know, of many people to, to get and a six inch apochromatic refractor that has, uh, you know, very excellent correction and on planets and such. And then to see sketches and images that, that we've been sent through that instrument, 
just make me want to look through it even more. It looks like an impressive piece of gear. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The um, the Apple is is more than that though. It's it's about four times the cost of the Acromat. Roughly. Is it okay? okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's, I think the Acromat is a really good price though. So yeah, yeah. The although the Altair one, like so, like the I think they're made by Kuming or I can't remember what the the name of the company is. There's there's a bunch of them rebadged. Uh, like there's the Altair TS Optics has one. It's the six inch uh, five point nine, and um. I think they run about a thousand euros. Um, so then, you know, you do your exchange wherever you live. Um, and, uh, you know, like you said, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And, and, um, what I like about these six inch refractors is if you're a refractor person, um, this is probably about as large as you can go and still have it being like somewhat portable where you can, you know, take it to the dark site and move it around the backyard if you want. Uh, you go any larger than a six inch refractor, not only is the tube starting to become very long and unwieldy and heavy, but the mount that you need for anything larger than that really, really becomes substantial and starts to, you know, you really have to consider that becoming more of an observatory based telescope rather than something you would pack into the back of your vehicle and, and, you know, take an hour or two outside of your city. Yeah, and and the the people that we've heard from, at least in my recollection, uh, do pack up their six inch refractors and and use them on on the regular. Um, and then I know they also have smaller uh, instruments as well. But but you know uh, we we had some beautiful shots of that Altair. I think the person had taken it up to Cherry Springs and had had photos of it in the observing field. It just it just looked you know quintessentially telescopic. You know, just such a beautiful beautiful instrument. And then I know the other. Um, person who's who sent us uh, lots of photos of of their uh, apm six um you know ha- has it equally uh, well set up uh, on a mountain was sending us some sketches of the, of the comet and that sort of thing uh, just really really beautiful instruments I, I would love to have those both together <laughs> that would be amazing yeah 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 i'm uh, i'm pretty excited for it like i think i will end up with one of them um, and, uh, you know, it should provide, you know, some very similar views in terms of like light gathering ability as my old eight inch Dobsonian. Um, yeah. but just with the refractor, you know, contrast and, you know, all of the benefits that you get there. Yeah. One of the things, and, and I know this kind of loops back to, uh, some, some of the other questions that we get is, you know, a lot of the time people ask us like why we are so much into the, uh, the refractors. And uh, one of the things that we, we run into quite a bit here, this is sort of like place specific is that in my, in my opinion, I think perhaps for you as well, Shane, is that the refractor tends to uh, maybe work a little bit better for the type of conditions that we have uh, a lot of the time, even like um, our, our good friend, Mike, who's got the 12 inch. Uh, he also has a little three inch um, Takahashi. Uh, for those nights and kind of like Mike was the first one to get the tack. And then like, we all kind of got on board that, that, uh, that roller coaster, but um, you know, and, and I think that's why is that, you know, so that on, on a lot of the nights when either it's, it's difficult to take out the large ref, uh, reflector um, or we just don't quite have the nights um, that will support using the reflector. Uh, you you want to have that refractor, but a refractor will almost always work pretty good out here um, when we have, uh, you know, the, the strange temperature oscillations that, that we deal with. Whereas uh, some of the other telescopes, like anything like that involves cooling, 
um, like the telescope just never reaches it. In fact, I know when, when we were really involved in the astronomy club, we would often get people that would buy reflectors and ask us to come out and look through it. Cause something was wrong with the instrument. It turned out like it was just cooling. Yeah. 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 They had done nothing wrong setting it up. It was aligned and everything, but the telescope were like, Oh no, it just needs to wait like an hour to cool. And they're like, well, how do you do that? When it's like this, like, that's why we have refractors, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, there, there's a couple of reasons why I'm, I'm a refractor person. And, and that's one of them is the cooling aspect. I, I did get frustrated waiting for, um, my light bridge to cool. And I I've had uh, five inch max a couple of times and, and same thing. I just, you know, it felt like they just never really, uh, uh, acclimatized to the surrounding temperature. Um, and then the other thing, particularly from the light bridge standpoint was just, I, I really got sick and tired of having to collimate all of the time. And, and it really like some, some nights you would collimate two to three times in, in the night. Um, yeah. and, and this is me also being picky. Um, but like, as the temperatures change, um, some of the telescope, uh, like, uh, some of the trusses might become a little loose, right? Just as there's a small shift in, in temperature, some of that stuff changes a little bit like the fittings. Um, and then collimation would just be off a touch. So then I'd get out the collimator and collimate it. And, and it's not like it's hard, but I just, I, I got to a point where I didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And, um, hence the refractor. And I know I'm giving up light gathering capabilities for sure. Right. Like whenever we look through Mike's 12 or if Mark Bratton comes down and he's had a few large apertures that he's brought. Yeah. It's incredible to look through those and I love them. I just, yeah. I love that. I don't own them also. And I love looking through other people's, uh, big aperture. So, yeah, I kind of feel like, and I know it wasn't like one specific night, but I kind of feel like I, I remember this sort of time period anyway, when you kind of, um, were looking at my refractor and looking at my observing while, while you were there with your 12 inch and we were going back and forth a bit. And I remember you were like, like, what am I doing kind of thing? Cause, cause I set up and I was observing, you were getting going and getting the truss poles in and doing the alignment. And then, um, I came, I remember we were, you know, out behind my place, 20 or 30 minutes. And we were looking at Stefan's quintet or NGC 7331 or something, something up near Pegasus. And I remember like I went over and so we ended up finding it. And then you were doing something else, realized the alignment was up. I went back or I'd already observed like for 20 or 30 minutes before you were ready to go. We did some observing. I went back to my scope and you had to do alignment again. And I remember you were really frustrated that night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, know if you remember that or not, but <laughs> no, there, there's a few nights like that. And, <laughs> and the other thing too, like when I, I remember still quite vividly, actually looking through your refractor multiple times and just being blown away by the field of view, like it's wider than what my light bridge could produce but just the sharpness of the stars, like they were yeah. just such pinpoints. It really, it really surprised me going back and forth. And, um, anyway, as such, here we are, I no longer have a Newtonian and, but you know, it still is on my mind occasionally, like, you know, uh, like a, an 18 inch or a 20 inch ultra fast, uh, Newtonian, I think would be pretty cool. You know, like yeah. an F 2.9 or something like that would yeah. be incredible. Yeah. I'd like to get my 12 inch running at some point too sort of on the never, never plan, but like, like that would, that would be cool. But, uh, yeah, anyway, cool. Yeah. Uh, where do we want to go next? We, we hit a hundred thousand downloads. Thanks everyone for listening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's news. That's a bit of a milestone. So yeah. Thanks everybody. Um, again, never would have thought that when we started, but, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, we're getting, uh, I think you said it's uh, just under 10,000 downloads a week. Um, and and I think, oh. or is that wrong? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. no, 10,000 a month. 10, yeah, 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 yeah. That's bad. yeah. <laughs> Shane's the one that has the statistics in front of him and is much better at math clearly than I am. Um, so we, you know, hopefully by this point next year, we'll be uh, celebrating, uh, I guess, the, the road to a uh, quarter maybe a quarter million or maybe at 250,000 downloads by, uh, by the time we're celebrating our, our third full year, you know, that would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. That'd be really cool. Yeah. So I had an email from, uh, Filippi. Do you mind if I, uh, I, I didn't totally reply to him. Um, so I said that I would, I thought, I thought it contained some, some interesting stuff. So I thought that I would uh, just read it on, on the podcast. Do you mind Shane? If I do yeah, this? go for it. All right. So, uh, Filippi is in, is in Brazil. And I really enjoy chatting with him for a couple of reasons, just like I have to cough here and maybe Shane can ad lib for one moment. Yeah. Yeah. Felipe sends some wonderful pictures too of the, excuse me, the countryside where he observes and it really does look like paradise. And I'm exceptionally jealous of his conditions, especially this time of the year when I, when I look in my backyard and see about three to four feet of snow everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm going to read this because there's some stuff in here for you, Shane. And I know uh, sort of Philippe and I have uh, have been corresponding just just the two of us. So I thought uh, I'd read it out and then, then you can kind of hear what, what he had to say about meteorites. So he said, hello, Chris. I wanted to say that I found uh, the episode on meteorites really interesting. I even looked up some information about Brazilian meteorites, but it seems people are not much interested in it. And there are about 80 cataloged Maybe Shane would be interested in this website. And he gave us a website on Weebly about um, meteorites in Brazil. It's uh, meteoritesbrazil.weebly.com. And uh, I feel like 80 is a lot. I thought That's, that was a- uh, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'll have to check that out. He said, uh, I love the last episode in Eyepiece. I've been trying to find people around here that are interested in astronomy to have an observing session with. Uh, but no success. I really want to have an experience with another telescope, maybe a faster one. Had the same problem uh, when I tried to see the Rosette Nebula as Phil. So um, I really, I really like the fact that yeah. And I did look around, and I, I sent him back. I guess like like a few ideas, but um, like another. I wasn't searching in Portuguese, and I, I believe that's um, th- that's the language in in Brazil. At least I know it's one of the languages Felipe speaks. Um, but yeah, I couldn't really find too many astronomy groups. There's like some high school groups and that sort of thing, but it didn't, I couldn't really find like a, like an RASC kind of equivalent um, to, uh, you know, sort of in, in the Brazil uh, you know, region anyway. But uh, yeah, and I guess that's one of the things like we kind of hope with the podcast is that um, maybe individuals that are that are around and, or maybe they're just living remotely. Like there's, there's folks here in Saskatchewan um, that are friends of ours. We only see them every couple of years almost because um, they live maybe hundreds or whatever kilometers away. But anyway, so, so he really uh, appreciated um, the bit about uh, the Rosette and Phil's uh, attempts to, to try to see it. So he says, uh, I tried to look at it a couple of weeks ago and had no success. I had no idea. Uh, if I was doing it right or not. One thing that I like to do is search for sketches on Google Images of that object I'm trying to find. And uh, I tried to look for sketches of telescopes that are similar in aperture and size uh, as mine. So usually like five to eight inches, because I think his is like 160 or 168 millimeters, 166, something like that. Uh, And then he says, that way I have an idea of of what I'm looking at. And yeah, I, I 
sometimes do the same thing. Although I try to, I try to find things first before I go looking for, for images. Um, I did end up sending the sketches to Phil, but uh, I don't, did I ever, I should send those to you. Maybe they should just be tweeted out or something. I wish we had like a, like a photo archive or something. Maybe that's something we can look at in the future. Anyway, carrying on, uh, Philippe also says, I also love the description of your observation with your friend as you're enjoying the moment and everything. And your friend was getting frustrated. Sometimes it's not just about what am I going to look at now, but sometimes it's about uh, enjoying the moment and going out and just, just sort of enjoying the, the observing. I totally agree with that. Yeah, Yeah. I try to, how about you, Shane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you you should be having fun, (laughs) you know, and and, uh, sometimes it can be frustrating, but, uh, you know, it's, it's fun to go out and have some laughs and, you know, see some cool things. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm kind of right there with everybody. Like I, I make up my, you know, my, my program, usually the way that I approach it is sort of at, at the bare minimum, when I go out, I try to look at, um, at least one new object. I try to look at an object that I've more recently observed um, to kind of get like a subsequent observation. And, and then I try to look at something maybe I've looked at like a hundred times before, but try to see something new in that object. Um, and then I kind of feel like if I've accomplished those things, I'm doing good. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes I go over to, to somebody, um, especially if it's somebody that, that I haven't really observed with much before and, and, you know, they're trying to look at something and maybe getting frustrated. I'm like, well, how many things have you looked at tonight? I don't know. I've looked at only 10 new things today. And I'm like, well, just have fun then. Like you, you, you're a success. Like, congratulations. Like you're, you're really blowing it out of the water, but, uh, yeah, you can only look at, at so many new things. Uh, I think it can be tough to kind of just to try to do too much in a night. All right. Yeah. I usually have a list of like maybe three to four new things that I want to see. If yeah. I get them all, I'm happy. If I don't get them all, whatever. And if, uh, like you said, if I get them all and now I'm, I'm wondering what's next, I will just do some eye candy observations. Like, and, and what I mean by that is I'll look at objects I know well, but that I can just quickly find. And like you said, maybe, maybe you try to see some new details in it. Uh, maybe you try different things. Like maybe you throw a bunch of different filters on just to see what the view looks like, or maybe you try a bunch of different magnifications and, uh, just kind of play around and yeah, have fun. Yeah. Uh, Philippi goes on says, uh, I have no news about Harting's guide yet. So he also ordered the Harting's, um, uh, guide for, uh, celestial objects from the Southern hemisphere. It's like a handbook and mm-hmm. that we were recommending and, and Shane and I have both purchased, um, Shane's recently arrived, mine arrived. Um, but it took, I think it took like six or seven weeks to get here and I knew it would take a while. I think they, they either print them or they're, they're, they're not in wide distribution, but you can buy them new from Melbourne university press. Um, it's a reputable place to buy. It's just going to take a little while to get. So, so just, uh, just hang in there. Um, he also says I did buy all the electronics for, uh, the go-to projects. Uh, he's making a go-to, um, I think it's a platform or some sort of tracking capability for his, uh, Dobbs. So I'm curious to see how that goes. He said he found a guy that makes the gear reduction and another guy that was selling, uh, his parts because he bought an EQ3 mount and he charged me uh, just the shipping and the price he paid for the items, uh, which is way cheaper than buying anything new. Yeah. And, and that is something, you know, with astronomy is that if, if you can find it um, used, especially if maybe people are modifying stuff and then they're peeling stuff apart, sometimes you can get stuff really cheap. I know that's how we get a lot of the parts for our little telescopes. Uh, going on, he says, uh, one thing I want to do is, is set up my telescope in a public place and let people enjoy the views uh, but he said uh, there's still a lot of concern around COVID and and some other stuff. And 
anyway, if people are sharing the views through a telescope, it might be uh, not the safest thing to do these days. And yeah, I agree. I, I did um, a bit of public observing uh, during the summer with people. I, I wore a mask. I think for the most part, people did wear masks. And we were at a government sanctioned event. So we were there with government workers who had um, very strict guidelines and, and were enforcing them. So it did feel uh, pretty safe. And uh, I think we had like, they had a cap. I forget what it was. I might get it wrong. It was either 25 or 50. I know they were flipping back and forth, but had done like 25 one night and 25 the next or 50 one night and 50 the next. But um, yeah, you're outside and it felt reasonably safe. I know with Omicron, there's, there's a lot more transmission, but hopefully once we get into summer, um, you know, it can get, uh, it will get a little bit better. There's, I hope, I think there's hope for the future. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fingers are crossed uh, for that one too. Well, hopefully, hopefully it gets better. Yeah. And he said, I hope you managed to do some astronomy this week where the weather has been terrible. Uh, it's been terrible in Brazil too. It's been raining a lot. Um, but fortunately uh, they haven't had any more risks of floods. Uh, I guess it's been pretty bad there. So and then this one, Shane, this, this one is going to speak to you. This is sort of final bit here. Mm-hmm. I, I can't even take the telescope in the backyard. It has turned into a minefield and I don't want to risk stepping on dog poop. I have two dogs now, uh, or I have two dogs, which is usually fine. But last Monday we took in four puppies and we took them in and we were taking care of them until we find someone to adopt them. They're the cutest thing, but the backyard is now a no stepping zone at night. Philippi. So Shane, as a dog owner, do you have any advice for Filippi and his canine landmines? <laughs> yeah, not much. Uh, <laughs> you know, what I what I will usually do before a session out back is uh, just a quick a quick uh, pickup, you know, go go around and see what the what presents the dog has left and, and get rid of them so that I don't <laughs> step in them while I'm observing. Yeah, that this is sort of emblematic of an email from Filippi, I got to say, where He's, he's talking about a variety of different things. And then he really gives me something that just totally cracks me up. When I got this, I was kind of in a bit of a funk and I read this and, and I just said, this is going to be a great one to read on the show. And it's going to be great for Shane. Cause as a dog owner, he's, that's really going to speak to him. I know when I had a dog, you know, I, I learned very quickly um, that my choice spots for setting up in the yard um, were quickly coinciding with the spots that my dog didn't frequent. So <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep. Adapt and overcome. Very good. Well, anything else to add to this episode, Shane? No, that's it, Chris. All right. Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to subscribe in your podcatching software. Always excited to get observing emails to actualastronomy.com. Thanks again. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.